This is Adam Lightman Bailey, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. This is Jennifer Rodarte with Compass, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hey, this is Lane Johnson representing Compass and Aspen, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hello, this is Steve, and we're with Wider Brothers of Compass in the D.C. metro area, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. This is Naomi Klein representing the Compass office in Beverly Hills, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What up, everybody? This is Chef Jack Harris of the uh, Talk Team Podcast. This is Jade with the Jessica Northrup team from Denver, Colorado, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Real Talk. I have I've always appreciated your loyalty. We've uh, surpassed 2,100 downloads and streams since I've launched this podcast in, in uh, September. So uh, thank you for being a loyal subscriber and listener. Today, I am extremely excited to introduce our founder of Philly Compass. Uh, Margot Pellegrin entered the industry in 2005. She was born and raised in Rittenhouse Square. She attended the University of Maryland, go Terps, and was... Uh, and uh, she is uh, currently uh, a, one of the leading uh, t- producers of Philly. Her team transacts about $67 million uh, annually. And in 2008, she transacted $72 million. You may follow her on Instagram at on the square real estate. Again, that's at on the square real estate. And her personal Instagram, Margot at Margot Pellegrin. Her spelling is actually... Uh, at, at M-A-R-G-A-U-X-P-E-L-E-G-R-I-N. So it's it's Margot Pellegrin. So Margot, thank you for joining and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time, certainly during this uh, unusual uh, lockdown period. Why don't you introduce the to, to the uh, listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, who you are and how you got into business and also, you know, why you joined uh, Compass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my story goes back because my mother has been a real estate agent since I was born. So mm-hmm. I grew up in the business. Um, and then um, always said I would never do real estate, never sell real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I would see my mom on the phone all the time. She's like, yeah, that's not for me. She's um, working. <laughs> if, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, after um, I graduated from the University of Maryland, which is actually where I went, met my husband, um, I worked in D.C. for two years as a legal assistant, thinking that I wanted to go the law school route. And when I realized it wasn't for me, I um, was talking to my mom. We wanted to get back to Philly. And she, you know, was needing some help with real estate and was like, what do you think? Like, would you want to try it? And at the time, I was 24. So I kind of was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll get my license. And if I hate it, I'm 24. So I pivot, right? Always um, and. Yeah, so um, got my license, and and you know that was the beginning of of the story, right? Um, we became partners. Um, my mom was always an individual agent. She never even had she had an assistant here or there, but usually like a high schooler who would just help her with some paperwork. Sure. Um, so bringing on a partner was a big deal for her. And then over the years, um, I grew our team. I really enjoyed the aspect of the business side of real estate in addition to just the selling mm-hmm. and um, grow our team. We now um, have um, 10 agents on our team and then, you know, two, two full-time assistants. Great. Great. And what, what, at what juncture did you realize that real estate was a good fit for you 
and this was this was a business that you wanted to be in long term. Yeah, I think that um, anybody who survived two thousand and you know eight two thousand nine in this industry sure. um, and still kept going, um, I think that was a big you know milestone. But for me, it's always been that every day is different, and the challenges in real estate are things that I really enjoy while they can be stressful at times. I find that getting through a challenging time like right now um, to me is um, it's like a puzzle and I like, I like puzzles. <laughs> so um, getting, getting, whether it's a, whether it's a difficult transaction or it's, you know, a pandemic um, I think that real estate's really cool in the sense that you can use what you have and be creative as you want um, and still succeed. Gotcha. Gotcha. For our listeners that aren't totally familiar with the Philly market, could you just give me maybe like a two minute breakdown of, you know, what, where, what the neighborhoods are and maybe where, where's more popular, where are the price points for those neighborhoods? Uh, what's popular right now before COVID, what was popular, you know, before COVID within the last 12 months uh, and just kind of a general feel for, so just so that listeners can, can get a better sense of how that market works. Yeah, so it's really um, unique about Philadelphia as a downtown area. And um, just for you know our listeners, there is the Philadelphia area and the greater Philadelphia area region. I am exclusively a city agent. So that is you know where I um, live and where I love. Um, but as far as the city goes, what's really unique about it is that it blends your commercial and residential seamlessly. Um, mm-hmm. So our center city is very much a residential area. Um, as much as it's commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a city of neighborhoods. It's kind of a Philadelphia tagline. Um, you transition from neighborhood to neighborhood and don't even realize it's happening, but then all of a sudden the culture shifts a little bit. Um, yeah. So there's a neighborhood for all of your different interests. Um, you know, I saw, you know, a question that I think what was maybe one of your thoughts for me was what's great for a first time home buyer, but there really isn't a great, there isn't a good answer for that in terms of neighborhood because it really depends on what that first time home buyer is looking for. We mm. get first time home buyers who really want to be like in the, in the heart of the city. Um, so they'll go for a one bedroom condo or we get first time home buyers who are looking for that like sweet two story townhouse that might be more interested in like a neighborhood in South Philly, like a, a you know, Pashunk square neighborhood um, where you're getting a little bit more um, price per square foot. And mm. there's still like a cool restaurant scene down there, but it isn't quite like the heart of the city. Gotcha. Um, and as far as, you know, neighborhoods to highlight, um, so there's Rittenhouse Square, which is a park in the middle of Philadelphia, which is where our office is located. And it's also where I live is, um, you know, the center of Center City. Right. And it's, there's a really known- cool restaurant there, Park, P-A-R-C. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah a lot of restaurants surrounding it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a great restaurant. Could not get a seat. For, for some <laughs> probably obvious reason, I had no idea. <laughs> it was probably one of those like really nice afternoons where everybody yeah. wants to sit outside oh, yeah. and people oh, yeah. watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the, it kind of looks like the for New Yorkers kind of it kind of had the feel of like a Balthazar, New York, uh, but exactly. with more outdoor seating and obviously more space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, right now Square is known for being you know one of the more upscale neighborhoods. It has the highest price per square foot um, in the in the city. In terms of housing, what's the um, as, in a high rise there or high rise or mid rise building there? It's so hard to say. I would say average. If you're averaging out from like new construction to things that have been around for a while, you're probably looking around 
you know, $700 a square foot, but that's like, that's total. I'm just throwing that out there because that's more of the higher end stuff anyway. I mean, I think the highest price per square foot you get in like the new luxury high rises are around 2000 a square foot. Okay. Um, if you wanted to, to give you an idea, park, you know, Rittenhouse Square, when I walked by it, it kind of felt like Union Square, but more homey and more local. Um, and, and if you wanted to have one of those apartments that face the park, would you be looking at a similar price per square foot around seven, eight hundred dollars? Well, the interesting thing about right now square is that a lot of those buildings are older. Yeah, so you they are. can you can get one of those and just need some updating, which mm-hmm. to some people is very appealing and you're getting exactly what you want. But there are two, you know, there's one building that's actually being in construction right now um, that's selling for over two thousand a square foot um, for for properties that face the park. So you know, there's kind of in that range you can find different things. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it was just, uh, for those of you that know, uh, the neighborhood that we're talking about, uh, definitely, you know, it, it's, it's a, definitely a, a nice hot spot to go to. And I feel like it's a very attractive place to live in. Uh, you have a really awesome farmer's market. I guess it happens every weekend. Yep. And uh, every Saturday. Yep. Every Saturday. Yeah. And it, it doesn't really feel, uh, as, as touristy as, uh, if you, let's just say, you know, frequent the Flatiron district or uh, Union Square or, uh, area in New York City. So it has a really nice... Absolutely. Bucket. Yeah, a really nice... Yeah, bucket. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and then well, I would so, say one of my favorite neighborhoods... Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say just one of my favorite neighborhoods, if you go just west of there, um, okay. is called Fittler Square. And a lot of people like that neighborhood because it's just adjacent to Rittenhouse, but greener, a little bit more, um, you know, neighborhoody. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, for New Yorkers, it would be, um, I, I get a lot of people who equate, um, equated to similar to, um, is it what's in Tribeca, but where that green area is in Tribeca, where all the, the soccer fields are and stuff. Okay, Hudson square, Hudson yards. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of around there. Yeah. So you get that feel to it where you get a little bit more space, but you're still getting the amenities of the city. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, good, good. Uh, so you know, we, we want to kind of dive into today's topic here and what's obviously on everybody's mind. So on the lo- from a local perspective on the ground up, what's the biggest change that you've seen during COVID-19 as far as your business is concerned and also with the, where the consumer mindset is? So I, um, I think everybody's going to remember the first few weeks of this, that this all kind of went down. But yeah. just to give you know your listeners a uh, background is we in, in Pennsylvania are considered non-essential in real estate. Sure. So we are not allowed to have um, in-person showings. We're also not allowed to conduct business outside of our home as real estate agents, which makes it you know even more challenging than um, the general COVID challenges for real estate. Sure. Um, you're in New York City where you're not allowed to show or go outside to show homes. Right, right, exactly. So look, we can't, I mean, if you open a lockbox for somebody, that's still not, not allowed. Mm-hmm. So we're, we had to, um, you know, really think outside the box. And um, I think there was that initial freak out moment, like, what are we going to do? Um, but, you know, our team just kind of went straight to the drawing board. All right we've got this challenge ahead of us. Like I said, I like puzzles. What can we do to get around this? Yeah. Um, so we went straight to um, virtual. We partnered with some great vendors that were willing to um, suit up 
literally, sure. <laughs> you know, in, in protective gear mm-hmm. and do the 3D tours of properties, um, floor plans, videos. We did, we did the full suite of virtual showing type things for every property. And then we, including properties where people are living, we just made arrangements. And then for properties um, where there was interest, we worked out FaceTime tours with sellers. So it would be um, both agents on the selling and buy side, buyers and seller on a FaceTime tour of the property. And that worked really well. Um, the first time I did it, I was like, how's this going to go? You know, we do everything in our industry to keep buyers and sellers apart. Um, but they've gone really well. We've put about six properties under agreement just completely virtually in the past few weeks. Wow. Um, yeah, and I couldn't be prouder of my team for just the way that they've been able to pivot and do that. Um, I think a lot of it had to deal with, do with empathy, realizing that no one right now wants to be sold to, but there are people that need to sell and there are people that need to buy. And how do we continue on and help those people while still respecting the situation that's going on and, um, you know, just thinking outside the box for our clients. Are these buyers that have come under agreement, did they ever have the chance to physically actually see the property before signing after the virtual tour or did they just trust the whole virtual experience? So um, a couple of them did not see the property in person, most of them, until they went under contract. Mm-hmm. And then within the contract, put in a provision that they could walk through the property. Right. So we made arrangements for that without physically being there. So maybe during the infection time, the inspector would open the door and let them in, but we were not present. Uh, so I, I, I suppose inspectors are considered essential or they're allowed to work yes. with the guidelines of uh, what, what you know the essential means? Yes, yeah, some are, some have waivers. Mm-hmm. So those are the ones that we've um, you know, made sure to um, partner with and um, get recommendations for our clients for. That's great. So this perhaps may be the new wave of buying and selling real estate is that they have to first trust the virtual walkthrough and then have it in the provision of the contract that they can eventually go and access the unit. Yeah, and you know, I've even had conversations with um, properties I'm going to be listing in the next 30 days or so. Mm -hmm. And we were... Pennsylvania will likely become essential um, by the end of the month. We're fingers crossed. But um, even when we are essential, we're still entering a new way of showing real estate. And we've discussed with with clients, especially where clients are living in the property, that we're going to do some sort of kind of screening. So they have to watch the 3D tour. They have to watch the video, maybe even a FaceTime tour prior to an in-person showing. Got it. Yeah, they really have to be invested in the process to screen out the buyers yeah. that are actually really looking, or perhaps it's a neighbor that just wants to see the renovations of, <laughs> of another Yeah, owner. exactly. <laughs> I think that the shopping days are, are gone. Um, you do your shopping online. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. So uh, tell me a little bit about the buyer's mentality and seller's mentality. You know, we all know this. We've all been in the business long enough. Buyers love to read the news and only digest and take in information that really plays in their favor or thinking and same with the sellers. They love to read the news and they'll say, well, it looks like wall street journal just wrote out, put out an article that home prices on average are actually going up and the sellers will automatically reject that news. So sellers will think we should actually raise the price. Where is it realistically? Have you seen the market go up 
or down? Have you had lowball lowball offers from buyers reading the news and thinking this is the great next great recession and their great opportunity, uh, or are the are the landlords maybe are fearful and are just slashing prices left and right? I mean, what are you seeing? We're not seeing prices being slashed left and right. As I've been telling any of my buyer clients, there's great opportunity out there, and the opportunity isn't that you're going to get some lowball deal. The opportunity comes in that the there is less competition. Yeah. Um, and maybe you can take a breath when you actually look at a property as opposed to having to fight multiple offers. There are still multiple offer situations happening, but not as frequently as it would be, you know, pre-COVID. Gotcha. Um, so that's the opportunity. I recently had a, a client who was moving to Philadelphia um, from out of state um, call me about a, a, one of a property being listed and he really didn't understand why it was still in the market. I was like, well, it's because not everybody is, and this is a, you know, a $2 million property. Uh Um, Not everybody is willing to jump feet first into a luxury home in this current situation. Also given, you know, the stock market um, volatility. Now this is somebody who doesn't have to worry about that. So he got a great opportunity to buy something that is in high demand in our area. um, And, you know, is under contract. So, you know, there are opportunities like that for buyers in the lower price points too. Um, And again, some people have to move, whether it's they're being kicked out of a lease or um, whether they're moving in from out of state for a job. And, um, you know, there are homes out there ready to go. Right, right. There's a will, there's a way. And, And just in particular in residential real estate, the moral of the story is life goes on. And absolutely, whether it's a marriage, they're expecting it's unfortunately a divorce or somebody passing away. The life always just happens to keep moving. So just because there's COVID, which is why if Governor Wolf is listening, we are essential. (laughs) Correct. Correct. And we also have landlords that are just recently moved out that want to maybe lease their apartment and they just they need the money. Right. They need the money. Right. So, yeah, we are technically essential in that aspect. Uh, No, we are not. Of a Fortune 5 company that you know represents uh, you know thousands of, of investors, but in, in the aspect of you know maybe there's a mom and pop landlord that just needs their place filled or sold. I mean that that's definitely essential in their life. We are we do play an essential part in their lives. Uh, let's talk, let's talk a little a uh, little bit about just the market itself, pre COVID and where we are today. Uh, do you have some um, statistics or numbers that you can talk about as far as like maybe where inventory is or maybe where the, uh, the contract signings are so that we can see where the saturation of the market is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's interesting. When I pulled the data, mm-hmm. I will say that before I tell you the data, I wasn't, not that I was shocked by it, but I don't feel it as much as the data shows. So okay. if you, when I pulled the information, I was curious, okay, what are the, what's the COVID data? Like uh-huh. what is the data from March? I, I pulled from March 13th, which was okay. our first like, kind of soft stay-at-home order um, to today for what's gone under contract Mm -hmm. um, in Center City, Philadelphia. And it was this year, 274 properties. To put that into perspective, that is um, 50% down, 50% lower than in 2019, which there were 646 properties. Um, So that's significant. But again, I, I, I was surprised by it only because I don't feel it as much. Yes, it feels like the summer, not like our spring market. Um, but 
there are there is so much pent up demand out there going into the spring that I do have a feeling that the numbers will be look very different in two months from now when we are allowed to go out and show property. Do you think the numbers, you maybe you may not particularly feel it because you are so focused in an area that it has so much demand, like Rittenhouse Square. Perhaps right. that area, does that data also count areas like Maniunk or any of the outer city markets? So this data specifically doesn't count like Maniunk. Um, It does include, um, it's all of Center City, so from river to river, um, includes parts of South Philly, um, Fairmount area. Mm -hmm. Um, We are seeing demand in, like, South Philadelphia, in other areas as well. Um, And again, it's not, you know, it's one of those things that someone said to me, like, home is not always a luxury. Home is, you know, home is more important now than ever. Mm-hmm. And um, especially, you know, people who needed to move again, like I said, or right now, you know, maybe people need to downsize because of housing expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe people need to um, get larger properties because they're moving families in together. Right. Um, there's all different reasons. And that's that I think is what driving this, this demand that was already we were we went into 2020 with low inventory. OK. OK. Uh, so speaking of speaking of lower inventory, is that just 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 so much more demand because of businesses moving into the city, or is it just the general population wanted to be more closer to the city? Or what do you think that is? You mean just pre-COVID? Correct. Yeah, I, Philadelphia is a booming city. We have a ridiculous restaurant scene. Um, I know it'll be back. Um, it may take some time, but it'll be back. Um, we have. Um, it's a really good balance and quality of life. You can, um, look, the word affordable housing is very relative. So I don't want to sound um, pretentious by saying that, but affordable compared to most metropolitan cities. Um, and you can live here, you can have green spaces um, and also walk to work, um, which, you know, most cities, um, there's your metropolitan downtown area and then like the suburbs or in case of New York City, it's a giant metropolitan area but um, you generally don't, you, you, it's a subway ride or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, a, it's a real luxury to live downtown Philadelphia um, and have that life balance of, you know, for instance, my life, I, get, I walk to my office, my husband walks to his office. Um, we're home um, at a reasonable hour to see our kids and make dinner. And, um, you know, it, there isn't that two hour commute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, Thinking about post-COVID, do, what are your thoughts on this? Me, having interviewed various agents, they all have di- different varying opinions throughout the nation. But do you think post-COVID, some of the maybe accidental beneficiaries perhaps may potentially be areas like Maniunk or maybe even a little bit outside of the city where they want maybe an extra home office or two, maybe they want a yard, maybe they want a little bit more separation from people and get away from the congested areas. Or do you think humans will have maybe a short-term memory and they still want to go to places like the park or be in the city and just like what you said, walk to the office and you know, be, be within reasonable commuting distance and not waste time getting in and out of the city uh, to, from, to and from their work. Or what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, um, Consumer behavior and wants have certainly shifted, mm-hmm. um, but we're looking at a, a very condensed period of time. 
Um, I had three people text me on Friday asking for short, short-term rentals for the summer in the suburbs of pools. <laughs> like, uh, go to Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think, you know, we're all kind of feeling that, you know, being stuck inside right now, it's difficult. Um, will, there are people for sure who were considering the suburbs at some point, and this is certainly going to be the push to that area. Yeah. I mean, um, but city living kind of will adapt. I don't really think that it'll be a dramatic shift from city to suburban area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the way people build homes and the way people use their homes will be different. Um, you know, I think that when you're looking for a property, having a roof deck or having a little backyard space um, will be a more important amenity than maybe having that extra bedroom. Right. Um, or to your point, you know, having some space for a home office may be more important. Again, I'm hoping that this is just a um, short period of time where when I say short period, yeah, a year or two years, but again, short in the scheme of a lifetime. Right. You, you, you think about from a historical standpoint, you know, cities have been around for a hundred plus years and they've always stayed there. It's not like this has disappeared. So it, you know, even especially a city like Philly, you know, the resiliency, I think, will outlast whatever short-term pandemic that we're experiencing. Yeah, there was this really interesting article about how um, Philadelphia's um, residential area was affected by the Spanish flu. Yeah. And how um, there were more houses that moved um, away from the river. And that's why there was a big gap. Like, that's where Fairmount Park existed, because they wanted that space between the river and houses. Um, to prevent that contamination. When you say river, just, you know, are you talking about the, the Camden side or the school? The S- Schuylkill River. Schuylkill River, right. Schuylkill, okay. yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, just trying to get my bearings. But, right, so so yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, those things definitely do happen for a reason. So you're going back to some of your business and your listings right now, I think, I believe you have about nine units on the market and those are representing on the seller side. Are those sellers just so confident of the market today because of the low housing, uh, the housing shortage, shortage that you've had uh, when we opened up the year, or are they just in desperate need to sell? I mean, what's going on there? Uh, well, I think we only had one seller who um, pulled their property off the market, and that was that's temporary, um, and just because it's a um, $4 million listing, and they since we can't have in-person showings, um, it just, they weren't, they just said, let's pause it for a moment and, and rethink strategy, but that will be coming back on. The rest of our sellers that were already on the market, there's no benefit to taking it off. Um, you're getting a lot of exposure. We're not showing it in, you know, there's no in-person showings anyway, right. but at least you're getting the exposure on the market. People are at home. They're looking at online. Um, I was unsure of that strategy at first, especially for new listings about do we do keep them as coming soon or what do we do? But in every situation, putting it on as active right away has been to our seller's benefit for purely for exposure. Again, people are home, they're online, they're bored, they're looking. Yeah. Um, the person I told you, right? The uh, buyer I mentioned earlier, um, they only found this property and called me about it because it was put on active um, status and they saw the photos. Mm-hmm. So if a, if a new seller came up to you today and asked you, you know, is it a good time to sell? I, I suppose your answer is there's no reason why you shouldn't list. Yeah, especially right now. We have low inventory. I mean, our uh, market data today for the greater 
area, our inventory is down 40% to a two and a half month supply. That's crazy. My goodness. Yeah, so you'll you'll definitely stick out like a sore thumb when you list today, assuming that it's priced within the market's parameters. Uh, Right, exactly, exactly. Do you have any buyers right now or investors right now that are just clamoring up and, and, and saying, hey, you have to find me a deal because I know this is a big recession? So I don't typically work with a lot of investors. Somebody on my team does. We're not seeing a ton of that yet. I suspect we're going to start seeing that um, in the next few months. Once um, you see there there are going to be people who have had their house or their investment property in the market for a while that need to get out. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's going to be, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier, but sellers' expectations, if they were on the market for a while, um, they're, they're seeing the reality of pricing right now. Right. Um, it doesn't mean the pricing is off. It means that they were priced wrong in the beginning. So <laughs> there is, um, you know, I think that's good for the market, but, um, you know, it's one way to get a seller to change their mind on price. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I can see that. You know, we, there, whenever whenever the market is down, you have sharks that approach, you know, sharks that are always approaching us and they want everything, you know, 10 cents on the dollar. And and sometimes it's not as prevalent as what, you know, how much they see. I mean, you know, a lot, the, an article came out recently in the Wall Street Journal. You know, a lot of the sellers, this is a, a recession that is temporary that's happened due to the fact of the virus. But if you think about what was happening two months ago, three months ago, a lot of these sellers were, most of these sellers were in pretty good financial condition. So it's not, you know, it hasn't, it's not like things have changed that much. Their financial position has changed that much in the last three months. So right. you know, some of these investors are just reading the news, reading the tabloids, seeing, you know, blood in the water and thinking that this is a, a repeat of uh, the Lehman crisis in 2008. Right, exactly. It's so different. It couldn't be more different, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that I think, you know, listeners have to agree on or, or understand on is that the 2008 recession was definitely a housing-led recession. It was subprime loans. It was leverage. It was uh, Bank of America and, and, and Lehman Brothers collapsing under financial pressure rather than what we are today, which is more of a, I guess you would say a virus-led recession with uh, temporary unemployment numbers. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're able to, to to be creative now and pivot and do things a little differently and still still be sustainable in business. Um, that other time, that was a lot, a lot more out of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, I had to. If I have to go to a a client's house wearing a mask and sounding like Darth Vader, um, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. You know, um, you do what you, you soldier on and uh, adapt. Yeah, no, that, that's that's definitely definitely fine. Listen, I, I don't want to. Uh, I, I know you have, you're busy and you have to go, so I'm not going to keep you uh, on here. But I got to uh, just real quickly some other questions. Uh, you, so you have such a successful team. You know what's what's your magic? Huh. Um, <laughs> our team culture and compatibility. I mean, we have an amazing team culture of um, helping each other out, of okay. empathy, um, guiding our clients in that way too, guiding our clients by their needs and wants, not our own. Um, and that has just really built a fantastic, I mean, my team is on every team call during this time. We have two, two hour long meetings a week. 
Um, and you know, I know I'm excited to go to them and everyone shows up. So I assume that they like them too. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Um, when you hire new agents on your team, you know, what do you look for in, in those new hires and how do you select them? And, and to ensure that, you know, what you just said, that the culture within your team stays intact. Yeah, so we don't grow that much, and most of our um, new team members happen, happen organically. Um, our last two team members, one was a family member of mine, um, and the other one was a um, an agent from our former brokerage that I grew up in the business with. So um, having her join us was, you know, a natural fit. Right, and it's also hard to fire your own mom if she's working with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That, that's great. Uh, and, um, yeah, just, just a final question, just to wrap up when, when you decided to, uh, to grow your team and, and, and increase your sales volume, like most other teams want to do, is that, is that something that was that your initially your main goal or is that something that kind of just happened just organically naturally? Yeah, again, that was um, organic. Um, yeah. There are some days where I'm like, it'd be much easier to just be a single agent, but yeah. I love my team. Um, and there's a certain aspect. I love watching um, their businesses grow and knowing that I can be a part of that. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, I'm very involved with my with my team's business in terms of helping them, you know, reach their goals, um, helping them find out, you know, figure out how they can use their authentic self to reach out to their own spheres to build their business. So that's, that's a fun part of what we do as a team and how I get to interact with them. Good, good. Yeah, it seems like a, seems like a fun, uh, fun team to work in and operate in. I have my team myself, and, you know, everyone's a little bit different in the way they operate their business. So, uh, and one final question. I, I'm not sure if you've gotten any more extra time during this COVID. I mean, I, I, if you did, I mean, are you, how are you spending it and are you doing anything fun? indoors right now that uh that try to entertain your family um not a ton of extra time because of homeschool and everything <laughs> but i will say that's right um like my group of friends we've been you know with we've been continuing on we have an almost standing um game night on the weekends okay where um we've had quizzo and jeopardy and some other games and it's just you know it's been it's super cheesy and fun and it's something you know we're just used to going out to dinners together so yeah. this was a nice way to you know blow off some steam and uh do that so I've, I've been really enjoying that that's fun that's fun i think one industry that has gained uh some market share is the is the game is the game night industry right so like the board game industry oh absolutely yeah and i'm such like a nerd like that so bring it on <laughs> yeah i bet i went to i went to uh walmart the other day and all the games were sold out all the board games were sold out so really yeah it's definitely a definitely a, a trend that we're so seeing. are you saying that there's a second like market for like used games <laughs> yeah, maybe. yeah i think i think there's a comeback of just these like indoor house board games and and card games and stuff like that 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 uh you know was probably maybe on on the decline for like the last 10 years uh with all the you know with all the video games and whatnot yeah well i have to plug um there's this you google like jeopardy templates there's this awesome jeopardy website where you can build your own jeopardy games oh. and then play them like on zoom oh. um and that was really fun like i did one for our team and we had like you know um quotable covid was a was a category and um it was like uh songs about social distancing was another category <laughs> so 
you know, make the best of it, have some fun. That's, all, that's so fun. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we, we also did on Zoom, uh, friends, uh, friends of mine, you could break out teams within Zoom and into their I own saw rooms. That. Yeah, so, yeah, so we did a trivia night on Zoom. Oh, that's really cool. So each team got to like talk on their own and then come together at the end. If you're a host, you could, and there's 10 people, you could actually do, you know, two, uh, five teams, two each, and then send those two teams into different rooms so they could talk privately. And then after a minute, you can get them back into the same Zoom room. So awesome. Yeah. Technology. Amazing. We're getting creative. People are getting creative. Uh, so everybody, uh, I'm just going to wrap up. Thank you very much for listening. Again, follow Margot on, on Instagram. Her, uh, I'll just repeat it again. Her team Instagram is on the square real estate. And again, follow Margot. Margot is M-A-R-G-A-U-X. So her Instagram, M-A-R-G-A-U-X. Last name, Pelegrin, P-E-L-E-G-R-I-N. Margot Pelegrin on Instagram as well. Margot, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Good luck out there. And hopefully Thank we come you. Hopefully we come Hang out of this in there. Club. We'll see each other soon in um, a city downtown at Park. You can come visit. We'll have a we'll have a glass of uh wine I would together. love <laughs> to actually get a table at Park next time. I'll guarantee it. I know some people. <laughs> okay. That's great. That's great. All right, it's on video, so it's a promise. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time again. Thank you for having me and uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much.